Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. This is the the final message in a series that I've called Magnificent Marriage. And this one is called Building a Lasting Love. Building a Lasting Love. I've shared a couple of stories from Bill and Lynn Hybels during this series. I guess I've shared their stories because they're, they're brief, they're accurate, and they're not my story or your story. <laughs> I know a lot of marriage stories, uh, but it's great that Bill and Lynn have been vulnerable enough to tell the truth about theirs. He said, on a Wednesday evening in May of 1989, Lynn and I loaded our luggage into our car and began a journey to a destination where we would spend our 15th wedding anniversary. After more than three hours on the road and a stop at an all-night restaurant for dessert, we ended up on the beach in South Haven. That's in Illinois, I guess. And this was um, the very place where we went on our first date a decade and a half earlier. And there was the same concrete breaker upon which we had sat and the same lighthouse under which we had talked, the same moon whose beauty we had, admitted, we had admired. It was 3 a.m. and we sat on the beach digging our toes into the sand, watching the moonlit waves shimmy up the sodden bank. And with each wave came a memory that crashed into our consciousness, a memory of a slammed door, a canceled courtship, of making up and a carnival wedding, a memory of joy surrounding a baby's birth and of tears in a cracker box home. Memories of criticism and of judgment and of celebrating uniqueness. Memories of feelings smothered by pain and of rekindled romance. We were 17 when we first sat together on that Lake Michigan beach and naive. We foresaw only sunny days. By 37, Our naivete had been battered and finally destroyed by rainstorms and lightning and gale-force winds. But while our naivete had not survived, we had. We had come face to face with reality and we had stared it down. We had persevered and worked hard and won. And we sat on that beach stronger and more mature and more tolerant and more in love than ever. Well... I'm a student of marriage, and I've seen a lot of marriages that should have failed, but succeeded. And I've seen marriages that, much like Bill and Lynn's, had every reason to fail, but instead they succeeded. So what's the difference? What separates the winners from the losers? What do the Bill and Lynn Hybels of the world have that others don't? What does it take to build a lasting love, a lasting love. Yale psychologist Robert Sternberg, in an article that he wrote for Psychological Review, boiled it down to three basic elements, three sides in what he calls a triangular theory of love. And if you're taking notes, you ought to just draw a triangle at the top there and write these down, a triangular theory of love. Love is a triangle, he says, made of passion. One side is passion. The other side is intimacy. And the third side of the triangle is commitment. When a couple works to maintain all three sides of the triangle, their love is likely to survive and thrive. But when a couple 
neglects one side or the other, or fails to continue to build them, or fails to protect them, the marriage will likely fail. So what I want to do this morning is explain and apply these three legs of a lifelong love and then give you some habits to build them and two traps that destroy them. So just going to be very, very practical in the approach this morning and talk about the first one we want to talk about is passion, passion. Passion is the motivational side of marriage. Look in Genesis chapter 29, verses 16 through 20. Genesis chapter 29, verses 16 through 20. Passion, it's the sparks that fly between two people when a word hasn't even been spoken. It's the chemistry that creates an instant connection that is so powerful you can even see it on film. They do film tests for actors who are naturally attracted to each other. They want them to be naturally attracted to each other when they're going to film a romance because if they're not, that comes across on screen. Passion is the power that moves the man to pursue the woman and the woman to pursue the man. We see this in the lives of Jacob and Rachel in Genesis 29. Look in verse 16. Now Laban, that's Rachel's dad, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. We don't really know what they meant by that, but obviously not as appealing. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and look at what this guy said. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Guys, that's passion, okay? That's real motivation. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. And, and so they worked. He worked. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because, for, for, to him because of his love for her. Wow, that's passion. Of course, then you know the rest of the story. Laban tricked him and apparently got him drunk or something, and he was forced to marry Leah first. And so then he worked another seven years for Rachel, 14 years for this woman that he loved. That's passion. That is a ton of motivation. Passion is the spark that ignites the flame of love. It is psychological as well as physical. It's a psychological arousal as well as a physical arousal. If it is well-tended, it will warm a couple long into their winter years. But it's like a fire in a fireplace. If it's not tended well, it will die down. And the passion will go out of your marriage. Passion comes easy to us when we're young, or when after many years without passion, we meet someone new with the right chemistry. Have you ever heard of people in their 60s and 70s falling in love with each other? Happens all the time. Now that can be a really good thing or a really bad thing depending on if you're already married when it happens. <laughs> I'm going to talk about how that happens in a little bit. It was good for King Solomon and the Shunammite. The Song of Solomon is the Bible on passionate love. You should read it sometime. It was bad for King David and Bathsheba. And pretty bad for Uriah, her husband, too. The passion of marriage in later years is different from the passion 
of the early years, but it is no less important. That psychological and that physical spark has to be maintained. You have to work on this. You have to think about it. You have to invest yourself in it. So let me just give you a few ways to nurture it and a couple of things that kill it. Passion builders. First passion builder is take care of your body. Take care of your body. Stay physically fit. Do your best to look your best at least once a week. At least once a week. Guys, some of you need to shave more often. Because once both of you are working and raising children and building a home and mowing the lawn and doing the laundry and joining the band boosters, it can be really easy to forget this and to just sort of let yourself go. And besides that, America has fast food joints all over the place and quick stops all over the place and opportunities all over the place to completely ruin our health with junk food and we avail ourselves of it commonly. But obesity and slovenliness are never attractive. Can I tell you something else is not attractive? I heard this this week. There's a guy, he's married, I heard, I won't tell you which daughter told me, but it's a friend of hers. And he's married to a gal who just really believes in the, power, the healing power of garlic. And so when she feels a cold or something like that coming on, she takes whole cloves and cuts them in half and lays them in pieces of bread and just munches those babies down. And the husband said, I can smell her across the house. That's a passion killer, guys, <laughs> ladies. That's a passion killer. Um, another way to, to build passion is not only take care of your body, but, um, well, I'll just say it. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 7. Make room for sex, okay? You have to. Paul says, it's okay if you come apart for a while just to pray together, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, to, to pray about an issue, but then come back together. It's a really important part of your marriage, and if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't make space for it, you lose it. Third thing, and this is something that people don't pay too much attention to, is keep growing your psyche. Keep growing your soul. You know, some of us graduate from high school or college, and then we just stop learning and growing. It's like, I know everything I need to know. I just want to do my job and watch football on the weekends. You want, you want to know what that is? That's boring. And if you become boring to your mate, you're killing passion. So you need to keep growing your psyche. Do those things and you will protect and build the passion in your marriage. Now let me give you a couple of passion killers. Somebody sent me a link to a TED speech, a TED video. Have you heard of TED? I don't, yeah, okay. So psychologist Philip Zimbardo talking about the demise of guys. That's how he titles his talk. By 21, check this out, by 21... The average boy has played 10,000 video games, most in isolation. Guys, you will never learn how to talk to a woman playing a video game. Put the iPad down and look her in the eyeballs and talk to her. He also said that the average boy, and this is just breaks my heart, the average boy watches 50 
porn video clips a week. 50. And he says they don't know the difference between real sex with a real woman and porn. The porn industry says the fasting, fastest growing thing in America. What porn does is instant arousal, instant satisfaction. And that's not how real love works. Real love is gradual. Real love is subtle. Real passion is subtle and it grows gradually. He said for every 400 films made in Hollywood, those are like main films, okay? There are 11,000 porn video clips shot. He said it's out of sync with reality. That and he said romantic relationships grow gradually and subtly. You can't do that. Moms and dads, please pay attention to what your boys are able to see on their iPads and on their iPhones. And just in case you think that I'm a, 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 a cave-dwelling dinosaur old fuddy-duddy, I am on the train. Okay? I got one of these things. Guess what happened to me last week? I finished the sermon. I walked into my office. I pushed the little button for it to turn on, and it says, Hi, I got a chat message. I don't know where it came from. Hi, this is Angel Starfire XXX. Would you like to chat? I don't know where it came from. I don't know who's about. I mean, I don't know who it was from, but I know what it was about. And it had accept, decline, block. Now, I'm a happily married guy. It was not a problem for me to just go block, block, block. But... Do you know how many of those things are coming across on your smartphones to your kids all over the place? And it is killing their ability to develop real, healthy, spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically fulfilling passion. It's killing it. Uh, one other thing that will kill passion in a marriage is um, self-centeredness and self-pity. I'll quote you one of my favorite, Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin says to his tiger Hobbes, I'm at peace with the world. I'm completely serene. Why is that? I've discovered my purpose in life. I know why I was put here and why everything exists. Oh, really? Yes. I'm here so everybody can do what I want. Well, it's nice to have that cleared up. Once everyone accepts it, they'll be serene too. Self-pity, selfishness, self-centeredness in a marriage kills passion. Nobody wants to be married to a self-centered person. Nobody. The second leg of the love triangle is intimacy. Intimacy. That's the emotional side of marriage. Uh, Les and Leslie Parrott say, Love without intimacy is, is only a hormonal illusion. Pure passion is self-seeking until it is linked with intimacy. One cannot desire a person over the long haul without really knowing that person. So it's the emotional bond, the emotional connection. In the best marriages, husbands and wives are best friends. They're soulmates. They're confidants. They know everything about each other and feel safe revealing their deepest 
thoughts and their feelings. That's why Adam and Eve, before the fall, are the example here. In Genesis chapter 2.25, it says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Obviously, there's a physical reality to that, but there's an emotional reality to that. They felt no shame. There's no hiding. There's not a worry about being vulnerable to each other. There's complete human connection, interaction. One body, one soul, one spirit. And they get to enjoy discovery of each other, as well as all the things in God's beautiful garden. They're on this, this journey of discovery, and it's a joyful thing, and there's, there's no boundaries, and they're completely vulnerable and open with one another. And there's that emotional bond that connects them. Intimacy is what happens when you take a risk and let somebody see the real you. It's that two or three minutes of vulnerability that happens in the middle of a three-hour trip to the museum. <laughs> it's that conversation you have backstage between Act 2 and Act 3 because you're both so excited to be there and you're both being challenged and you're both handling this, this task together. And you talk about what's really down inside you. You talk about your dreams, the things you want to do. And it's knowing that even if they don't understand, they're so loyal that they'll stick with you, but most of the time, they just get it. They understand. That's intimacy. It's when she looks at you, and you've got, you, you, tell her, you tell her your craziest dream, and you think it's just bananas, and you probably ought to pitch it. And she looks at you, and she says, it's not crazy. You ought to do it. That's That's intimacy. Stephen King, you know, the, the horror, science fiction, fantasy writer, he was trying to finish his first novel, Carrie. And this is before anybody really knew who he was. And I don't know if you know this, but most writers are all kind of melancholy types anyway. And so he gets about halfway or two-thirds of the way through this thing, and he, can't, he just can't finish it. He's just, he's just worn himself out with being as creative as he can possibly be. And he's so frustrated and disgusted with it, he just throws it in the trash, literally threw the manuscript in the trash. This is before computers. But his wife knew him. And she went digging in the trash, and she found it, and she read it. And she took it back to him, and she said, this is good. You've really got something here. You need to, you need to finish this and send it to the publisher." And Stephen King's books have sold more than 350 million copies all over the world. And many of them have been made into feature films. That's the stuff of intimacy, of having a heart-to-heart -heart friend that you can trust and who knows you and who believes in you forever. A couple of intimacy builders and I've said this over and over and over throughout this series on marriage, I'll say it again, make time to spend together because high quality moments don't come without high quantities of time. They just don't happen. You can't just make them happen cooking dinner and washing the dishes and doing the clothes and cutting the grass and cleaning the blinds and fixing the plumbing. You just can't. A lot of times if you're going to do that, you have to actually leave the house. We have to. We go for walks. I've done it for years, and that's where Krista and I do a lot of our connection. Why is that so important? Because when we're in the house, we're working. We've always got something on our mind. We're going to do something. 
But sometimes we'll talk about stuff on those walks and just catch up day to day that we don't, we don't get in other venues. Read or listen to books together. This kind of contributes to that building your psyche one in the earlier one. I download books on my iPod and we listen to them on long trips because books take you places that you wouldn't normally go and because of that they open up pathways inside your personality that you wouldn't normally talk about. And you start to discover stuff about each other. It's like, I didn't know that you knew about that. I didn't know that you saw that that way. That's great. Tell me about that. You build intimacy by doing those things. Let me give you a couple of intimacy killers. Uh, turning on the TV when your mate needs to connect. There is no connecting happening when the television is on. How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but let me just say, how many of you live in one of those houses where the television is on all day? All day. Well, it's just background noise. No, it's not. It's a distraction. Now, here's a real good experiment to see how, how badly you are afflicted with televisionitis in your marriage. Turn it off and try to leave it off for three straight days and see how hard it is to talk about stuff. See, if you find it very difficult to communicate with the television off, you haven't been communicating with it on. You don't know each other. You're losing intimacy. You may actually be hiding from each other. That's, a, that's from an earlier sermon on conflict resolution. <laughs> Here's another one, and um, this one is so important. I want to ask you to look, please, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This one has killed more marriages, I think, probably than anything else. I know I've said that same quote, you know, one guy will tell you, well, problems with finances kill more marriages than anything else. And then people, other people will say, problems with communication skills will kill more marriages than anything else. I'm here to tell you, in my experience, this one has killed more marriages than, uh, than anything else I've ever seen. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. The ESV says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I want you to imagine like this. Your, your heart, your intimacy, is like your front yard. And uh, it's like it's got a picket fence around your front yard. I guess I'm having picket fences on the brain these days. I've been using that metaphor a lot. It's like a picket fence, and it has a gate. And you, can, you meet all kinds of people that, that walk up and down your street in front of your picket fence. And you can stand there by the picket fence, and you can chat with them all day and visit about all kinds of things. But then there's just certain things about your life and your family, your heart, that stay inside the fence. And you don't talk about those things with people that go up and down the road. Because here's what happens if you do. If you start talking about the intimate matters of your heart with strangers, with people who are not your spouse, you're opening that gate. And they're just naturally and normally going to start walking in. 
I mean, it's just human, guys. All of us do this. You're not a big sinner if you do this. You're just human. And there's a natural process that then, if you let somebody in your gate, and that person happens to be one of those people that you just sort of have that automatic chemistry with, your marriage is in trouble. Because you've just created an intimacy bond with someone who is not your mate. You've just become emotionally entwined with someone who is not your spouse and someone that you've made no vow to. And you're going to find it very difficult to, to break that bond, especially if there's a conflict going on in your marriage and it's unresolved. Especially if there's any kind of hardness in your heart towards one another. I've seen marriages crash and burn because people work very closely together. I think I've told you this story many times. and I know a lot of these stories, but this is the one that I feel like I'm okay to tell. My first or second year here as a pastor, somebody refers this guy in, says he needs to talk about his marriage. Okay, he comes, he's alone, his wife is not with him, and he says, well, I'm on my third marriage, um, and... And I just fell in love with this lady at work. I said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? How did this happen? Well, we work in a prison, and it's a real high-pressure atmosphere, and there's a lot of tension, and we're always talking and kind of solving problems and have to make sure that we do everything according to the policy book. And, and, and it's just a high-pressure place, and so you just naturally talk to each other. And then I said, okay, what happened next? He said, well, then they took us on a training seminar. We were required to go to this training seminar out of town in a hotel together with a dozen other people, but they weren't all from our prison. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, we just ended up in bed together. That's exactly what the guy said. And that is exactly what happens. Because male-female human relationships are dynamic. They are not static. And when you open that gate and you let somebody into the intimate part of your heart, you start sharing all that stuff and talking about their family, talking about your problems, talking about the things that move you and your dreams with that person, then you've just created a connection. And it can kill your marriage. And so I counsel you, keep that gate shut. You might be a real verbal, friendly, talkative kind of fellow. I am. It, and I had to learn to keep that gate shut. They're just places that you ought not let other people go. It's an intimacy killer, and it'll draw you away from your mate. And lastly is commitment. Commitment. Commitment is the will. It's the volitional side of marriage. Volitional side of marriage. It's the part of us that chooses one thing over another, one person over another. It's the vow we take at the altar. It's the promise that we refuse to break when the going gets tough and the temptation looms. It's what makes us be able to close the gate to our heart when a stranger gets too close. It makes us put on our walking shoes for that trip around the block when we just feel like kicking back in the recliner and turning on the TV. Commitment is what made Joseph stick with Mary when it would have been much easier to tell himself, well, it was just a dream. I mean, maybe it really wasn't an angel. And after all, she is pregnant. 
But the man had a commitment. He was a righteous man. He'd made a commitment and he believed it when God said, no, 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 this is of me. You stick with her. Parrot and Parrot write, commitment creates a small island of certainty in the swirling waters of uncertainty. As the mooring of marriage, commitment secures love for our partner when passions burn, passion burns low and when turbulent times and fierce impulses overtake us. It's the commitment. In other words, it's the promise that keeps the love, not the love that keeps the promise. It's the promise that keeps the love, not the love that keeps the promise. One of the reasons that commitment is the third leg of the triangle of love is because of the ebb and the flow of the other two. Anne Merle Lindbergh, the poet wife of the great aviator Charles Lindbergh, said it uh, beautifully in her uh, poem, Gift from the Sea. When you love someone, you do not love them all the time in exactly the same way from moment to moment. It's an impossibility. It is even a lie to pretend to. And yet this is exactly what most of us demand. We have so little faith in the ebb and flow of life, of love, of relationships. So we leap at the flow of the tide and resist in terror its ebb. We are afraid it will never return. You ever seen one of those movies where somebody was married to somebody else and they were just kind of, it was just the love, the spark had gone out of the marriage and then they meet someone new? And they leap at the tide. That's what I'm supposed to be like. That's what romance is supposed to be like. Because they didn't have faith and confidence that the tide would flow back in. That the passion could be relit. relit that the intimacy will rebuild. Intimacy and passion ebb and flow. She says, we are afraid it will never return. And we insist on permanency, on duration, on continuity. When the only continuity possible in life, as in love, is in growth, in fluidity, in freedom. Passion ebbs. Intimacy wanes. They come and go. But the power of love is commitment. Commitment. How do you build commitment? That was a hard one. How do you build it? It's kind of like you either have it or you don't. But I think there are some ways to help it. Number one, live every day in the Spirit of God. He's the one who empowers every good choice. Ask Him. God, Holy Spirit, keep making me a man or a woman of my word. I mean, if I say I'm going to return a book next week, return the book. If I say I'm going to show up at 8.15, show up at 8.15, not 8.30. If I say I'm going to do this certain job, do the job. Don't come up with an excuse not to do it. In all those ways, we strengthen our abilities to keep our commitments, to be a man or a woman of our word. Second, look around you and see what the lack of commitment has done to families. It is epidemic. And it'll make you appreciate what you have. And then thirdly, appreciate what you have. Celebrate your marriage and its fruits often. It's like the scripture says, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you go out, when you come in, look at your wife, look at your husband, look at your children, look at what you've built together and say, thank you, God. Celebrate it. Sit down and have some strawberry pie. Celebrate it. Go out on a date. Take the weekend off. Celebrate it. Get your kids together at Thanksgiving or wherever. It doesn't matter any time. 
And everybody hold hands around the table and say, thank you, God, for the family that we've got. Thank you. I praise you for it. Celebrate it. Because it'll strengthen your commitment. Well, um, since, this is the, uh, since this is the end of the series, I wanted to sing a song that uh, does a better job of putting all this together in 313 words than I can do in thousands. It's by that uh, eminent theologian and sometime country singer, Clint Black. And it's called Something That We Do. Turn it up for me. I remember well the day we went. I can see that in my head. I still believe the words we said forever will ring true. Love is certain, love is kind. Love is yours and love is mine. But it isn't something that we find. It's something that we tight and letting go it's flying high and laying low let your strongest feeling show and your weakness too it's a little hand a lot to ask and in the sand welcome task love isn't something that we have it's something that we do we have to make each other all that we can be we can find our strength and inspiration independently the way we work together is what sets our love apart so closely that we can't tell It feels brand new. We're on our own that has no end, and each day we begin again. Love's not just something that we're in, something that we do. I remember well the day 
Why? Why? Why is it something that we do? Because it's something God did. Marriage isn't easy. It takes a lot of work to maintain a healthy one. We spent 11 weeks talking about it, and I could talk 11 more weeks. But these three things, passion and intimacy and commitment, are the keys. And you know how we know? God the Father committed himself to love us, even when there was no response, even when we were his enemies, in order to bring us into his family. God the Son pursued us passionately, leaving everything behind, all of his glory, all of his comfort, all of his power, in order to come and humble himself as a servant and love us with intensity all the way to the cross. He sacrificed himself for us. There's no greater passion. And finally, God the Spirit gives us the intimacy with our Creator that we long for, that we were made for. He witnesses down inside of us and he says, you're my child. And he calls out within us, Abba, Father. That's the three pieces of the triangle. Passion, intimacy, and commitment. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Bow your heads and ask God, God, what edge of the triangle, what line on the triangle do I need to work on, do we need to work on in our marriage? And those of you who are not married and may one day be, ask God to show you which one of those you might be weak on and to strengthen you. So I'll give you time to pray. Father, thank you that no matter where we look in your word, we see you loving us in hundreds of ways, thousands of ways, passionately pursuing us, drawing us close, sharing your deepest heart and soul with us, making your commitment clear over and over again. Thank you so much for loving us that way. Give us the power, we pray, to love one another, to love our mates that way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.